Hi, this is Karen and Jimmy Evans with Marriage Today. This podcast is dedicated to equipping families with the teaching and tools they need to succeed. We hope you enjoy this episode and subscribe for more marriage building content. Today, we are talking about Jimmy. Growing together. Oh, growing together. I love that. Yeah. We're going to talk about the, the factors, three critical factors that cause us to grow together, and this is an extremely important teaching today uh, that's going to tell us not just how we grow together, but how we keep from growing apart. And and now we've been counseling marriages mm-hmm. for 38 years, and um, you see the same thing over and over and over. And many people, when you're talking to them in marriage counseling, they'll say, we've grown apart. That's kind of an oxymoron. If mm-hmm. you're growing, you shouldn't be growing apart. You should be growing together. <laughs> The fact that you're growing apart means you're not growing. The bad things are happening in the marriage, but it's never too late to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, just in a few minutes, we're going to be talking about growing together. But Karen, we have some questions. Mm -hmm. This This is a good question. My wife and I grew up in different church traditions. When we got married a few months ago, we decided to officially join the church she grew up at. Now I have regrets. I have been watching a different church service online to spiritually feed me because I find her church to be boring. Is the fact that we aren't on the same page a big deal? Yeah, you know, um, we both received Christ about the same time we got married, so we didn't have a lot of big discussions about religion uh, before we got married. And then after we got married, we kind of grew together in the Lord, you Mm -hmm. know, after the Lord healed our marriage. Um, I had a couple one time that I was counseling, and she was Protestant, and he was Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the counseling session, I said, well, where are y'all going to go to church? And he said, well, my church. And she said, no, I'm not going to your church. They broke up in my office, and I asked them, you know, where they were going to go to church, and you know, they both had different answers. And then I said, so if you have children, are they going to be raised Protestant or Catholic? And he said, well, Catholic. And she said, I don't want my children to be Catholic. <laughs> well, but the point being this. If they wouldn't have been in pre-marriage counseling, they wouldn't have had that discussion. No, it's true. And then they would have gotten married. And what I say is the only people that get married to someone with a different faith is someone whose faith isn't important to them. Mm -hmm. If your faith is really important to you, you're going to talk about it before you get married. So now they get married. He starts going to her her church. He finds it boring. uh, So he's he's wanting to go somewhere else. Your marriage is more important than the church you're going to. Yeah. And it's, it's better to go together to a boring church than it is to separate and go to different churches because what's happening is you're you're experiencing completely different things and it's going to pull you apart. Mm-hmm. Even though you're pursuing Jesus, which is good, it's drawing you apart. Well, and it's called trusting God to change somebody else's heart. Sure. You know, pray about it, you know, and trust God that he can change their hearts. Well, and pray for the church that it won't be so much <laughs> boring anymore. Yeah, but talk to your spouse about it. And if you can find, maybe there's a happy medium that you could find. But the wife also should not be stubborn. Uh, if the husband is talking to her, she should be open maybe to, you know, exploring other options. But it's a big deal. It's, it is a big deal. Uh, let me read a question for you here. Okay. We have heard some of our uh, couple friends uh, having a purpose statement for their marriage. What do you think is important to have in a purpose statement, and how does it practically affect the day-to-day decisions you make together? Well, this kind of goes along with the vision, you know, the mm-hmm. vision retreat that we recommend every couple take at least two, three times. And, you know, it's you do have to have purpose. And for you and I, when we were talking about this the other morning, we were walking. Can you imagine if you and I were not on the same spiritual level right now? And 
for us, our purpose is what does God want? You know, our purpose is, you know, following the will of God for our lives and our marriage. And so I think it's so important to take the vision retreat, you know, get along. We have, we offer the booklet. We offer the stuff, you know, online and um, go find out what God's saying because you need vision from God for your, the purpose of your marriage and your kids and finances. Yeah, I think that you should know what your together purpose is in the Lord. Uh, in other words, it, God, it says in Genesis 1, God blessed Adam and Eve. God mm-hmm. blessed them, and God said to them. He didn't say it to Adam. He said it to Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. So there's a purpose of why God puts you together. You need to know that purpose. Exactly. The, the vision for your children, the vision for your finances, the vision for so on and so forth. And so our vision retreat resources are available on marriageday.com. And it really does help you to put together a vision statement and a purpose statement for your marriage. And the more clear and current that is, the more intimacy and goodwill you're going to have in your marriage. The more you don't have uh, the same purpose and same vision, the more you're going to fight. So it it really is a big deal. We hope this is helpful to you today. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already and leave a review. We love hearing how this helps your marriage. Now let's listen to this teaching today on Growing Together. I want to talk in this message about how to grow together. And if you have grown apart, this will help you to grow together and stop maybe the drift in your relationship. If you haven't uh, grown apart, this will keep you together. It's the, the law of partnership. We need to share our lives. And that's where the satisfaction of marriage comes from, is being able to have someone to share your life with. So there's three decisions that we make that cause us to grow together in marriage. And the first is our decisions are made without regard to our emotions. If you're going to grow together in your marriage, you can't be an emotional decision maker. You have to grow in your ability to make mature decisions. People who are mature in decision making are not emotional decision makers. And the most painful life on earth is an emotionally navigated life. When you're constantly making emotional decisions. Well, why am I saying that? Because 86% of divorces are for non-severe circumstances. This is according to research. The vast majority of divorces are not because something really bad is going on. Now, in 14% of the cases of divorce, something bad is going on. And there are three reasons for divorce. Number one is adultery. In Matthew 19, they asked Jesus, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any cause at all? And Jesus said, no. If you divorce your wife except for adultery, you sin and you cause her to sin. And the word for adultery there is porneia. It means egregious sexual sin. And so if your spouse cheats on you, it doesn't mean you have to uh, divorce them. It might be grounds for divorce, but especially if you have a cheater. If you have someone who's a serial cheater, someone who is immoral and will not repent, it can be grounds for divorce. Okay? The, another is abandonment. If someone abandons you, obviously, 1 Corinthians 7, the apostle Paul says, if, if someone abandons you and won't live with you, you're free. In regard to the law, God has not called us to bondage, but to grace. And so if someone abandons you, you know, and leaves you, well, you know, you, it's, it's unfortunate, but it can be grounds for divorce and, and you can go on with your life. The other is abuse, and uh, I have, uh, in all of my years of counseling, seen the most incredible abuse. Men abusing women, women abusing men, physically, mentally, and emotionally, and it's terrible, and it can be a form, or or it can be a grounds for divorce also. Now, uh, we all suffer in marriage, okay? We're, We're married to imperfect people, and we all suffer in marriage, okay? And so, if your husband snores, you suffer. All the ladies said. 
That's right. If your wife's a backseat driver, you suffer. <laughs> and by the way, now ladies, you probably don't know this, but backseat driving actually causes men to snore. <laughs> it's in the Bible. They, they didn't go for that fellow, sorry, I tried. It was worth a shot. Okay, so suffering is discomfort, abuse is damage. Living in an abusive relationship means I cannot be a whole person in your presence. I am diminishing as a human in your presence. Mentally, emotionally, physically. And I've seen all three. And I've seen all three men to women and women to men. If you're living in an abusive relationship, you get away from it. You don't let a person abuse you ever. You're too precious to God. And, uh, and I said this one time and some people that had been abused kind of got upset with me a little bit, but I, here's the way I say it. The first time you're a victim, the second time you're a volunteer. Get away from it. Someone's hitting on you, someone's being evil to you and abusing you. You get away from it, you get your children away from it. And I'm not saying necessarily that you have to divorce. What I'm saying is you get away from it and appeal to them and say, I love you, but you're gonna have to get real help with accountability and prove to me that you're different before I come back into your presence. And if they'll change, maybe the relationship can be redeemed. If they will not change, you go on with your life. But I'm saying abuse, you cannot imagine what I've seen. Okay, murder, unbelievable abuse in, in relationships. And so this is something you take seriously. It only constitutes 14% of divorces. Adultery, abandonment, and abuse, those are the minority of cases. 86% of divorces are for non-severe circumstances. You say, well, why'd they divorce? In the moment. In the moment of their issues, they just got in the moment and it just seemed like the right thing to do. Emotionally, they made an emotional decision. So our daughter Julie and her husband Corey uh, had a life group when they were in their young, early 20s. And they had 30 couples in this life group and they had a big party one night and it was a dress up party, kind of a fun dress up party. And so all these couples, you know, dressed up and so they set a camera at the door so that as the couples came in the door, all the couples that came in the door got their pictures taken, you know, they, they, the camera caught them. And so several years ago, uh, Julie and Corey took that uh, video out to watch it, you know, just to kind of reminisce on that video and Julie called us and she said, it's the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. And, uh, and Karen said, why? And she said, because 27 of those 30 couples are divorced. It was a young marriage Bible study. And Julie began to name their names. Well, I knew a lot of them and I knew a lot of their families. And in any case, we could not think of any of those divorces that were for a serious circumstance or you know, a, a, a abusive or abandonment or adultery or something like that. So I'm saying to you, in the, in the moment, in the moment, it can seem so real. And remember now, our testimony is, I told Karen to get out of the house. If it wouldn't have been for the grace of God at that moment, we would be divorced today. So I have all the sympathy and compassion in the world for people who are divorced. And this message is in no way to put you down. If this is your second or third marriage, I just want it to be your last. Okay, just put your feet down where you are. Stop making emotional decisions. And, and stay put. Okay, so here's the problem with emotions as it relates to being decision makers or helping us make decisions. They're fickle. Jesus said his word is the rock and then there's the, if you build your life on the rock, it's a rock. But then there's the rock versus the sand. You never know how you're gonna feel tomorrow. Our emotions, our emotions are fickle. 
And so making emotional decisions is just, you're here one day, you're here the next day. The second reason you don't make emotional decisions is feelings may be very real, but very wrong. And there's the old saying, how can something that feels so right be so wrong? Well, go ask David and Bathsheba. I guarantee you, it felt really, really right until two people died and a generational curse was put on his family. Now, you can't imagine what I've seen. You can't imagine what I've seen, 40 years in ministry. You cannot imagine the horrific pain and death that I have seen that began with a choice to feel good rather than doing the right thing. Emotional decisions can be horrific if they're not based on the word. Number three, the devil has access to our emotions. Why don't we make emotional decisions? Because the devil gets into our emotions. There's two scriptures, Ephesians 4. Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And what it's saying here is it's okay to be angry. And I'm a, this is what I'm gonna talk about next week is anger and conflict resolution. And so uh, be angry, nothing wrong with anger. Don't sin, don't justify bad behavior. Don't let the sun go down on it or you'll give a foothold to Diablos. It means slanderer. When you go to bed on anger, it is a legal door for the devil to open to slander your spouse. And you wake up the next morning and you've been counseled by the devil, you don't even know it. You think you're enlightened, but you're deceived. You, you're actually seeing your spouse through the lens of the devil's eyes but you think you're enlightened and you've got this long-term anger. There's nothing wrong with today's anger. Today's anger is fine, it's very manageable. Yesterday's anger is the problem. So the devil has access to our emotions, okay? And I'm gonna tell you my testimony next week of how this happened to Karen and me, almost caused us a divorce. Second Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, a spirit of fear, pneuma, a spirit. Okay, let me say something to you. You need to understand this now. You don't have any fear. You're fearless. God, God wouldn't make us with fear. Fear is, fear is satanic. Jesus is the prince of peace. He doesn't use fear. Okay? And so there, there's a good fear that we have, that you're driving down the road and someone swerves into your lane and you, you immediately swerve out, you know, fight or flight. It, it's temporary. It's uh, helpful. It's, and it's, uh, it's positive. Okay? That's, that's good fear. Okay? We have that fear, but it comes and goes. Chronic fear is satanic fear. Chronic, debilitating fear is satanic fear. Listen to me. So in the dark days of your marriage, fear will come to tell you, anger and fear are the most destructive forces in marriage. In the dark days of your marriage, he will access your anger and he will access your fear. Fear is a prophet spirit from hell sent to frighten you and give you a negative report of the future so that you'll make a fear-based decision that God will not honor. Let me say that one more time. Fear is a prophet spirit. Fear wants to give you the devil's view of your future, to frighten you, and to cause you to make a fear-based decision that God will not honor, because God does not honor fear, he honors faith. And so fear, so how do you overcome fear? It's not your fear. And if you say, I just have a fear of this, I just have a fear of this, no you don't. You don't have any, stop calling it your fear. See, the devil's perfect disguise is you. He, he hides behind us hoping that we won't uncover him. So the next time a spirit of fear is talking to you, you say, ho, 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 that's not God and that's not me because I don't scare myself. No sane person sits around scaring themselves. You know, I see people going to horror movies and I just say, why would you pay to scare yourself? You know, 
It happens accidentally often enough. You know, don't pay for it. Next time the devil's trying to scare you, you say, spirit of fear in the name of Jesus, I expose you. And I will not let you come and disturb me and to disturb my faith and to get me to jump out of my marriage. I I reject your vision of my future. God says he's given me a future and a hope and I'm standing on that. You can't make emotional decisions. The devil has access to our emotions, especially anger and fear. And so the other thing is this, God doesn't bless emotions, he blesses actions. You will never be held accountable by God for how you felt. Let's just say, let's just say that someone's here and they're hurting and you walk over and they're really thirsty and you have a cup of cold water and you walk over and hand them this cup of cold water and say, there you go, friend. And it was the right thing to do. That's what you're gonna be judged for. But imagine the entire way over there, you're thinking, idiot. Why am I gonna waste this glass of water on you? I'm gonna dump it on your head, idiot but you decided not to and you handed it to him. Are you gonna be judged for handing him the water or how you felt on the walk? Hand him the water. We worship our emotions. We worship our emotions. And we wonder why our lives are so painful. The greatest life in the world is one that's based on fact and the word of God, not feelings. And what's happening right now. So how do you make your decisions? Well, you make your decisions in advance based on the word of God, and then you live true to him. And let me give you four decisions to make in advance in your marriage, and it will bless you if you do. Number one, we are married for life, and divorce is not an option. Now, this is an extremely well-researched book. Uh, University of Chicago, Linda Waits from the University of Chicago. And I want you to listen to the unhappy marriage. This is all about unhappy marriages. You gotta listen to this now. This is unbelievable. Of people who stay together, who are very unhappy, but stay together. This is very broadly researched. This I'm reading now. How many unhappy couples took their marriage, turned their marriages around? The truth is shocking. 86% of unhappily married people who stick it out find that five years later, their marriages are happier, according to an analysis of the National Survey of Families and Households done by Linda Waite for this book. Most say they become very happy indeed. In fact, Nearly three-fifths of those who said their marriage was unhappy and who stayed married rated the same marriage as either very happy or quite happy five years later. The very worst marriages showed the most dramatic turnarounds. 77% of stably married people who rated their marriage as very unhappy said that the same marriage was either very happy or quite happy five years later. Listen to this statement. Permanent marital unhappiness is surprisingly rare among the couples who stick it out. The the greatest term, 86% of the people who said they were very unhappy. See, the devil loves photographic thinking. And photographic thinking is this. He comes in the worst moments of our marriage and takes a picture and says, look at the future. It'll never get better. Let me just tell you, there's a God in heaven. It will get better. There's hope. There's, whenever you're feeling hopeless, you know the devil's around. This is Hebrews 13. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you. No, for a second. So first of all, it says, honor your marriage and keep your marriage bed undefiled. 
Don't, don't be an adulterer or fornicator. Then it says, let your conduct be without covetousness. In the Old Testament, when we're told not to covet, it says, don't covet your neighbor's wife. The context here is adultery and fornication come from taking your spouse for granted and starting to shop. You're going through a hard time, something's happening in your marriage, and rather than keeping your heart turned to your spouse, you begin to shop. You begin to look around and you begin to covet somebody else's husband or wife. Again, everybody looks better from a distance. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has says, I will never leave you forsake you. Let me give you the context here. God is saying, I want you, I want you to be faithful and I want you to be content because I have every reason to reject you and get a better model. But I have said to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Physically, I will not leave you. Emotionally, I won't turn my heart away. Number two, thing that causes us to grow together is the purpose of our lives is connected and mutually respected. This is Genesis one. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let, listen, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God blessed Adam and Eve, but in Genesis 2.18, God saw Adam by himself, and God said, that's not good. I'm not gonna bless that man. It is not good for a man to be alone. God's blessing was on Adam and Eve as a couple, and when men detach from women, and when women detach from men, God won't bless it. Let me give you an example, 1 Peter 3.7. Husbands, likewise, Dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. The context here is when, when you're mad at her. This is redemptive love. When you're angry at your wife and she's not doing what you want her to do, don't you treat her roughly and don't you dominate her because she's a fellow heir of the grace of life. And if you do, God won't hear your prayers. God will not bless a man, a husband, who detaches from his wife. He'll bless you together. God bless them. God bless them. He, did, he wouldn't bless him over here and her over here. And then this is Ephesians 5. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Men and women are to submit to one another. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ. So let their wives be their husbands and everything. And so what it's saying here is you can't detach from him. He, just as much as he needs you, you need him. And God won't bless a woman over here making her own decisions independently of her husband. You have to be, this is the law of partnership. God created us to operate as a team. And when we're sharing life together and operating as a team, God blesses it. That's what God bless, That's what makes you happy. And so I had a couple that I counseled and a very wealthy couple, and he was famous at that time. I can't tell you why he was famous, you know who he was. But he was famous at that time, and she had left him, and she came home. And uh, she only came home because I had agreed to talk to him. And she walked in and she said, uh, I said, well, why did you leave him? She said, why would I stay? We have no life. Houses all over the world, jets, all very wealthy people. And I, she, I, she said, I have no life. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? She said, 
The children and I sit on this side of the home all night long while he sits in his office on that side of the house and gambles online all night. She said, we have no life. And I looked at him, and he was not a believer, and I looked at him and I said, marriage is about sharing. Well, he didn't like that. And he turned to her and said, if you'll come back, I'll build you a new house. And she said, one for me to sit by myself in? Well, he didn't like that either. Uh, and then, so she left, she left angry, his wife left angry, and he got up and said to me, uh, it was a very unsuccessful counseling session, and <laughs> he, he got up and said to me, I, I, I blew it, I blew it, I know I've done wrong. And I said, well, I'm glad that you know that. He said, well, last year I bought her a necklace and I did not buy her the matching tiara. And I realized that's what I've done wrong. I'm gonna leave here right now and go buy it. And I just thought, you are dumber than a box of rocks. <laughs> I have no life. I have no life. Let me ask you this. What is the together purpose that God puts you together for? God, now, first of all, in Genesis, it says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So there's two purposes that God's given mankind in general. Have a family and expand my kingdom. Those are two things that you should do together, is raise your family and serve God and expand his kingdom. That's what brings Karen and I together. We teach people how to do vision retreats. There's a, a chapter in the book about married on purpose, about how to have a vision retreat. But one of the most important questions you ask at your vision retreat is, why did you put us together? What forces you to talk? Have you ever gone to a restaurant and seen a couple at a table that doesn't talk? It's just the saddest thing in the world. But when you have together purposes, you have to talk and pray and interact. What, what is our together purpose? Why did God put it? God blessed them. God blessed them. He wouldn't bless him or her. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so we grow together when we have a purpose that we're trying to accomplish together. That we talk and we pray and we interact as partners. We grow apart when we're just two people coexisting in the same home. Okay, here's, here's the third thing that causes us to grow together, and it is we're growing together in our relationship with Christ. And this is the biggest one. When you're growing in God, you're growing. Now, you need to be growing together. When Karen and I wake up in the morning, the most important thing we do in our marriage is I go into my office, she goes into her room, and we both have our quiet time. <clears throat> Very first thing in the morning, we both spend a lot of time with the Lord and it says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Now, let me, let me, as I'm saying this, let me see if you want to be married to this. Would you like to be married to love and to joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That sound like somebody you want to be married to? That's God's personality and the Holy Spirit gives it away for free to anybody who asks for it. And when you wake up, and the Holy Spirit is the oil, the engine of our emotions was designed to run on. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be extremely Christ-like under very difficult conditions. Without the Holy Spirit, we can be very carnal 
under very uh, uh, light conditions. So when you wake up in the morning, the prayer to pray is, Holy Spirit, fill me up and give me emotional grace. And give me the, see, we don't have love. Humans don't have love. We don't have love. Love comes from God. And we wake up in the mornings, if we're going to love our spouse the way Jesus would, we have to wake up in the mornings and say, fill me with your love. Fill me with your joy. Fill me with your peace. I don't want to treat my spouse today according to how I feel. I want you to give me emotional grace so I can feel beyond my feelings and love them with your love. When you're growing in your relationship with God, and this is what saved our marriage, Karen grew in her relationship with God. She stopped making emotional decisions. She turned to God, asked him to save our marriage, and he saved our marriage. That's what saved it. And what I'm saying to you is this. If you're going to be married, the devil's going to attack you because he hates marriage. He's going to attack you with anger, fear, temptation. He's going to attack you with all those things. But you're a child of God. You can overcome him 100% of the time. But if you're going to overcome him, you have to overcome him with the word, not your feelings. And you have to make your decisions based on the word. And when the hard times come, you stand on those decisions. And as a married couple, you act as a team. You make that decision in advance. We are a couple and we're gonna act like a couple. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage. And I wanna thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, Hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.